Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Who likes to wait? Raise your hand. Like I just love sitting and wasting time waiting in a line. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Uh, who, who likes uh, going to the doctor's office and your appointment is at 9 and you're not seen until 9.45? Who just loves that? I, I know there's, there's nobody, right? We don't love waiting. Uh, waiting is something that we, uh, matter of fact, if you're anything like me, you despise um, having to sit at a stoplight that only lasts for 30 seconds in order to wait, right? You're, the frustration mounts as you're racing toward the green thinking, I got it, I got it, and then you don't. And you have to sit there this whole cycle and stare at a red light while everybody else gets to go. And you think, like I think, the rest of the world should stop. They should have to all sit. I should be able to go whenever I please, right? And, and that's kind of the mentality. Why? Because to be honest with you, all of us hate waiting. It is difficult. Human beings spend approximately six months of their life waiting for something. 43 days on automated customer service. Don't you love that elevator music that keeps repeating over and you know, one of the best things they ever came out with is I love Southwest Airlines. I'm always on the phone with them. And I love Southwest says, if you do not want to wait, you can save your place in line by pressing one. And then you press one and you put your name in and we will give you a call back and you won't lose your place in line. That is the best automated system ever. And uh, why? Because we don't like waiting. We, we, we really don't. But in this story today, you're going to see that oftentimes waiting is coupled with faith. Matter of fact, many times in the Bible when faith is mentioned, it's coupled with this idea of waiting because there's a span of time where we're going to have to trust. Genesis chapter 15 gives us the promise, the covenant God made with Abraham. And we talked about this about four weeks ago. So I'm not going to spend some time here. We're just going to recap. You say, are you skipping over chapter 15? No, I'm not. We did chapter 15 out of sequence when we first of all learned of covenant. We learned of God and we learned why Abraham made covenant with God before we ever got into the life of Abraham. And so let's just recap for a moment. Abraham goes to God and basically God says, Abraham, I am going to bless you. And Abraham says, God, how do I know it? I mean, what is the tangible thing that I'm going to have so that I may know that you're blessing me? And God says, um, uh, Abraham, um, you're not going to be able to handle this, so um, I, I need to put you asleep for just a moment. I'm going to walk that figure eight of covenant with you. We're going to take the animals. We're going to slice them. We're going to be, remember we talked about uh, historically the idea of blood brothers, blood covenant, the sacrificial uh, lamb laid upon that altar as God walks promise with Abraham and says, Abraham, is this enough? Is this enough 
proof that I am going to do what I said I'm going to do in your life. And so, of course, we, we know now that Abraham has come out of battle. Uh, Abraham has now come out of Egypt. God has called Abraham. Now God's walked the covenant with Abraham himself. And then we find ourselves at chapter number 16. Crazy. Based upon what we can tell, it's about 11 years or so that's transpired. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll take the chronological storyline of the Bible and think that every moment is piling upon every moment rapidly. But that is not what is happening. Pretty much between many of these stories, there is a gap of time that transpires, all right? And so now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter number 16. Would you read this with me uh, today as well? We're going to read the whole story so you can see this. Chapter 16, verse number one. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, bear him no children. By the way, wouldn't that be interesting since God had promised Abraham, don't miss that, that Abraham's seed would bring blessing to the world. How is Abraham's seed going to bring blessing if there are no children? Remember back at the beginning of chapter 15. Matter of fact, let's look at that together. Chapter 15, verse number one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now watch his reply. Abraham remembering the promise that was made over 10 years ago when he was called out of the land. Abraham says in verse 2, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born, this steward, this servant in my house is mine heir. So culturally, if Abraham never had any children, then the lead servant of his home becomes the heir of all that he has. And this is why he presents this thought. Hey, God, you promised me that through my seed or my family, you're going to bless the world. I don't have any children, so therefore you're must, you're must going to have to use Eliezer to be that heir, and God says, Abraham, no, I'm going to bless you. And then he goes on to say, out of your loins will come the seed that I am going to bless the whole world through. Now go back to chapter number 16. This is why that is so significant. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bear him no children. And she had an handmaid. So, so be sure we understand the foundation of this story. Abraham's tried to pass off the promise that God gave directly to him through some other manner within his family. And now Sarai is feeling the weight that maybe it's her fault and, and therefore let me hand off this. And I find it amazing how quickly Adam shifts, I mean, Abram shifts in this based upon. Sarai's suggestion, okay? Look at the text. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Before you get 
little antsy uh, at this idea of polygamy in this passage, recognize that culturally it was accepted not necessarily by God, although God allows things to happen and works things all together for his good. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever see God saying to take multiple wives. We do see God allowing it, but by the way, when God allows something, it never means he endorses it. And a lot of times we presume upon God just because God doesn't move in a matter and we don't get a lightning bolt for making a bad decision that God's okay with the bad decision. That is not so. When God doesn't permit, it doesn't mean it's okay. But God takes our brokenness and sinfulness and uses it sometimes for his honor and for his glory. Do not miss that and do not misinterpret what's happening here. But culturally, if a woman could not bear children, culturally she could let someone within her household, whether it be a family member and or um, a handmaid servant, to become the one who would carry the line for her husband, and this is what is happening. So we're sitting here thinking, but they weren't going, okay? It was a part of, of culture what would happen in this moment. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. That phrase is key. He hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her handmaid, the Egyptian. And Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave to her uh, husband, Abram, to be his wife. Literally, the phrase in the Hebrew gave to her would mean she took her arm and brought her literally to her husband and grabbed his arm and said, I am endorsing this, she is yours. So understand how, how uh, deliberate this was. The Bible says in verse four, and he went un, unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Um, be sure you don't miss the thought of this. The, the idea was here, the word despised doesn't mean, um, in, in our language, when you think of despised, what's the emotion that comes on all of a sudden? I can see your eyes already squinting. I hate, I just despise. No, the word despised means to look down on. I despise you. Th th that's the idea. You're just, you're just a peon. Right, right. That's that, that, that's the thought. Okay, so the Bible says that now that uh, uh, Hagar has uh, conceived and is going to have child, she comes out thinking, "I'm the better one. You're the lesser." That, that, that's the idea she has, but we know that that's not what Abraham has, nor what Sarai has. And now Sarai's frustrated. This is not fair. Look what you've done, Abraham. I think that's hilarious, all right? Watch. And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. This is your fault. I've given my handmaid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee, shifting the blame. But Abraham said unto Sarai, behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do whatever you want. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, put her in her place. Can we put it that way? She was put in her place. She fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? So this is a Christophany, 
Um, understanding last week we talked about types of Christ, seeing the work of Christ, the type of work, but this is more of a, a Christophany, um, a visual of Christ. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return thou to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child. Notice God himself. This is not just any angel, again, a Christophany. God himself saying, I will, I will do this. I will multiply thy seed. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God... Seest me, for she said, have I also here looked after him that seeketh me. This is a very interesting thought here in this passage as God has recognized. And because of this, uh, this place is called Be'er Laharoi. God gives his name a specific place. He says, I am with you here. I'm with you in this moment. I'm with you in this place. It is between Kadesh and Barad, and Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. Very, very interesting story. And here is one beautiful thing that I love about the Bible. I love that the Bible doesn't hide the negative side of humanity. If I was going to write a book and if I was going to give a biography on my favorite characters, I would be tempted to hide their flaws, to elevate their greatness so that we could see what it is to be powerful, mighty, and good. But the reason the Bible is so real, it never hides the flaws of God's servants. It gives both sides of humanity. Because the Bible's not written as a book of information. The Bible is written as a book of transformation. That's why it's not just a textbook. That's why it's not something we just read. That the Word of God is something that is meant to transform us and who we are. That's why this moment of time every week is so important. The Word of God is meant to transform. It's not meant to leave us the same. And so God gives us both sides of humanity in the story. He gives us the bad and the ugly. It helps us to see the good of victory, but the sadness in defeat. And the Bible has given us the story of Abraham, and we're going to see him in all of his glory and faith, and we're going to see him in all of his failures and faults. And by the way, reading the Bible in this context should help us to understand us and where we stand in the big grand scheme of things in life. We are as broken as Abraham. And so to look down our nose at a man like Abraham would be um, such a hypocritical action because I know me. And I know my failures and faults and frailties. And now I can actually relate to this passage. And here's what the Bible is trying to teach us, that faith oftentimes is combined with waiting. Abraham gives us a clear picture of waiting on the promises of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Abraham himself would never even see the fulfillment of the promise. 
And now we see faith while waiting. Can we put it this way? Faith while waiting at the light. Faith while in the waiting room. Faith while waiting out the difficulties. We're going to see what it is to have faith while waiting. And the struggles that come while we wait. What does waiting reveal? What does waiting waiting expose? I mean, what is the big deal of faith and waiting? The Bible says in Psalm 25, verse 3, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without a cause. So, so there's this idea of waiting. David reminds us in Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Again, faith combined, trust combined with what? With waiting. Isaiah 40 says what? Remember, they that... Wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not what? Faint. It's all about waiting. The the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, go to the upper room and wait. Wait on what? The promise of the one that I'm going to send to you. The Bible has told the child of God, wait upon his glorious appearing. He's coming Wait, be looking toward the eastern sky. His redemption draw with, I love that song, nigh. We're to wait, but while waiting, man, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and a tremendous amount of faith that must be shown and patience and rest upon God. Why? Because we're naturally, intend, uh, we, 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 we tend not to enjoy waiting. We want it now. We want to have it our way. We've never lived in a bigger culture of that than we do right now. Pull that phone out of your pocket and do whatever you want to do right now. Well, don't do that, but if you wanted to, you could. We don't like to wait. And I am one preaching to the choir. Let's walk through this passage and see what we can learn about waiting from Genesis chapter 16. While you wait, the problem in itself is waiting. We see that as a problem. We never see waiting as a good thing. We always see it as a problem. And that's what I, I, I want to start off on and launch from here today is we've got to change when it comes to God, our view of waiting. But in our minds right now, to have to wait is a problem. To wait on God is an issue. God doesn't move to our clock. He's not bound to our calendar. I thought it was hilarious. And in 20, was it 2019, we sat down in September and we built this amazing calendar for 2020. Then we balled it up in March and threw it in the trash. Because God doesn't work on our timing and our schedule. And we, we, we wait through difficulties of life. And, and here's what we're going to see about waiting. Here's the problem. Waiting reveals character. You want to make a man mad fast? Put him in traffic on the I-10 between here and there. And the whole way he's going to be fussing and griping at why the reservation and the state of Arizona cannot work out a simple deal to widen the stinking highway between Casa Grande and Phoenix. What's the problem? I could take this median right now and put lanes down the middle of it and a wall down the center. We could have more. Ah, I'm just and 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 Robin's like, calm down. Right? I mean, you see it happening. You feel it. Why? Because waiting oftentimes reveals who we really are. 
The pride of life that comes out that we know better and why is God making me wait through this moment and who do they think they are? Who does he think he is? And, and this waiting begins to reveal the character that's really down deep inside. That's why I love that passage I read a moment ago. It says this, yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress against or without a cause. That's where shame doesn't have to come in waiting. The shame comes when we go ahead of God and we, we break the direction of God because we rushed ahead of what God did or wanted to do in the promises of God. It, it reveals character. Number two, number two, the problem. Waiting produces reasoning. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times. And my wife is going to sit back there and laugh because as soon as the traffic backs up, I'm like, baby, grab that phone, see if there's a reroute. Isn't it funny how we will reroute 45 minutes out of the way? And if we had a sad, it would have lasted 15 minutes, but we don't want to sit still and wait. That literally happened again on that trip back from Chicago. And I, I mean, from not Chicago, from Colorado. I don't, I don't know where we went to Chicago, but uh, from Colorado. And, and, and the map literally said to turn. And I said, nope, I don't want to turn there. I'm going to keep going. And then I got stuck in traffic. And then I thought, you know what? Instead of sitting here, I'm going to turn around. And I'm going to go all the way, literally two and a half hours out of the way. I reasoned it was okay. I did get to see the beauty of that drive. But I found out that shortly, about 45 minutes after I turned around to make a two and a half hour route reroute, the, the, the floodgate opened and they cleared the highway and everybody was heading home. We do it all the time, don't we? Why? Because we like to reason when it's time to wait. We like to figure out new motives and different ways to get around this situation that I don't want to be in for this long and I've got to fix it and I'm going to reason my way through it. Number three, waiting creates doubt, doesn't it? How many of you have been sitting in a doctor's office? This happened this week. Robin takes Reese to the doctor she calls me, I'm out of state, like I am literally, by the way, Reese fell and broke his wrist this week, okay? So she's sitting in the doctor with Reese. I am in uh, Georgia preaching this, this, this meeting for men and, and she says, I don't know what to do. We've been sitting here. I think we've been forgotten. I said, here's what you do. Open the door to the room and stand in the doorway, cross your arms and just stand in the doorway. Truth be known, they, she thinks they had been forgotten because as soon as she did that and stood in the door of the doctor's office, somebody saw her and she began to get care. You know what waiting does? It causes us to doubt. I don't want to wait on God. Does God really love me? Maybe I'm not doing this the right way. Maybe there's a better way to do this. And so I'm, 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 I'm now in doubt. Maybe God is doing something to me instead of for me. Maybe God is trying to inflict me instead of work through me because he's not moved yet. And I don't know why God's not doing this and I'm ready to do this now, but I've got to wait. And God's told me to wait, but I want to, I want to move now and I've got better ideas than God. I can reason better than God and, and my character oversteps the boundaries of God. That's what waiting does and that is what waiting did in this story. And so when we look at the life of Abraham right now, there's a part of me that says, be encouraged but sometimes we look at people like this and we let that be our excuse to why we have bad character and use wrong reasoning and then begin to doubt. Well, if Abraham did it, I can. I love that bumper sticker that says we're not perfect, we're forgiven. 
And I love what it means, but I think oftentimes that becomes our crutch. We're pastor, I'm not perfect. And that's what we don't want in this story is to, is, is to look at Abraham and excuse away right waiting, but rather look at how humanity struggles with this and then see how to overcome it correctly. In this story of waiting, Abraham's character is revealed. His, his reasoning begins to take place and culturally uh, begins to create doubt. Number two, the quick fix. If waiting is the problem, how can we fix this quickly? All right? Uh, look at the Bible and see how she did it. Uh, first of all, she asked him this question. She said these statements in verse number 16, and Abraham uh, followed this direction instead of the Lord's. The Bible says, And Sarai said unto Abram, verse 2, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Watch, I pray thee, go into my, unto my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. It, it may be I, I can work through this process through her. So I want us to um, really right now pause for just a moment and see what waiting does and how it flips the, the storyline sometimes. Because truth be known, doesn't God have a storyline for every one of us? But oftentimes, is it possible for us to go against God's plan of waiting and flip it wrongly because of something that happens in our lives. Let's look at a couple things right here that I think will be practical encouragement to you as we look into this story. First of all, will faith overturn doubt or will doubt overturn faith? That is what is happening in this story. Doubt overturned faith. But in essence, you know it's right. Our faith should be able to drive us through doubt. Isn't that what faith is all about? So in this story, remember the previous chapter? This is why I think God's word, although there's been many years to transpire between 15 and 16, I think this is so beautiful how God's put this together. Abraham, I am your shield and reward. Abraham says, oh, yeah, and I see how you're going to do it. You're going to use Eliezer the steward of my house, to bear seed for me as you have promised. You see what Abraham's doing? God, you promised that from me is going to come blessings to all the land. Oh, and since I am now very old, I'm over my 70s. My wife is in her late 60s at this time. And in a minute, he's going to be 86 and she's going to be in her 70s. And, and then it's going to get older and older. He's going to turn 100 and, and she's going to be 86. Right? And, and it's, it's just crazy how this is happening. Okay, God, I got it. I got it all figured out. I got you figured out. You can't really do this through me because my wife's barren and we haven't had kids yet, so you're going to use Eliezer. And God says, no, I'm not. Your seed, this blessing is going to come from your loins, the Bible literally says. Next chapter. Abram, I guess I'm not going to be able to have kids. So we're going to do this promise thing from God through my handmaid. You would have thought that Abraham would have gone, I actually, Sarai, made that presentation to God several years ago. Remember Eliezer? And God said no then, so I would assume he's going to say no to this now, and it's going to come from me and you. But doubt overturned faith. And oftentimes through waiting, we'll start doubting. Is God big enough? Can God do it? And that's all Satan wants. 
Satan doesn't want you to just necessarily outward rebel. He just wants you to doubt what God has said to be true. Well, maybe, maybe my authority is not actually right because I'm ready for this direction, this plan, this noun, and maybe authority is wrong. I, maybe they don't know everything they, they think they know. Maybe, maybe the Bible is not completely correct. Maybe God's provision right now is not actually what I need. It's not taking care of my problems. And I'll just, I, I don't know if God really knows what he's doing. I mean, is he really right when he says that? And, and maybe he just meant that for then and not now. And doubt will flip faith every single time. When the truth be known, church, what should have driven Abraham through this moment was his faith. No, Sarai, God promised. That's all he would have to say. No, Sarai, God promised. Secondly, look at this thought here. Look what happened next. Faith overturns difficulty, or will difficulty overturn faith? Both of these right now are looking at the difficult part. What is the difficult part? Abraham is very, very old, and Sarai is very, very old. And I don't know about this whole childbearing thing. This is a little difficult. A little bit further, they're actually gonna come and talk to Abraham face to face. This Christophany and two other angels are gonna come and carry on a conversation. And they're gonna tell Abraham for sure out of your loins is gonna come a baby and Sarah is gonna be in the tent. She can go, <laughs> that's funny. Really? I mean, come on. I'm in my 80s. You know what oftentimes happens? Difficulty flips faith. When faith should be the one to drive us through difficulty. Life is difficult. There are things that seem impossible with us, but are not impossible with God. And I'm not talking about necessarily childbearing or building houses or buying cars or getting jobs. I'm talking about thus saith the Lord. There are principles in the word of God that because life gets difficult, we want to flip on God when God says, no, wait through it. Have faith through it. Number three, number three. Will faith overturn pressure or will pressure overturn faith? Go back to the passage with me, if you would, in Genesis 16. Sarai said in verse two to Abram, I pray thee, go into my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Watch verse three. And Sarai, Abraham's, uh, and Sarai Abra, Abram's wife, sorry if I keep doing that, took Hagar, her handmaid, the Egyptian, after Abram dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Now, let me pause here for a little tiny time of speculation. Some believe that Abraham agreed to this and then, uh, but then waited and waited and waited just to see if God would come through 10 years. Some believe that this happened 10 years after the previous um, uh, talk with God. I lean toward that. I believe it literally. She said, I can't have children. I'm going to give you Hagar, uh, my handmaid. And then she took Hagar's arm later that evening and pulled Hagar over and said, here she is to the doorway of the tent. And that, that is confirmation of marriage. I'm giving you to her and, and her to you. And, and I'm, permi I'm permitting this, okay? So in this moment, we see the pressure of Sarai on Abraham that says, come on, there's no better way to think through this. There's no better way to do this. God's not working right now. It's too difficult. I can't have 
children. I'm too old. Come on, Hagar. Abraham, Abraham, come over here. Abraham pulls him to the front of the tent, brings him together, permits it, and then she, he takes her into the tent. And the Bible says she conceives. You see the pressure? Pressure happens when waiting. Pressure from the culture, this is permissible. Our culture will allow this. Pressure from friends. Hey, you can't trust what they're saying. They don't know what they're talking about anyway. Hey, yeah, that Bible was for a different time. Those thoughts and ideas for a different moment. Why don't you just go ahead and step out? God's not moving. He's not working in your life. He doesn't care about you. He's, he doesn't have your best. You take it under control. And the pressure and the pressure. And by the way, by the way, never have we seen pressure like we have in this culture. I can't sit down. I was recently watching this show and not only did the main character declare their um, homosexual status, but now if you watch the show, it keeps popping up all the time. Every episode, a guy is saying this, main character or not, a guy will say, my husband was killed or a wife will say, a woman will say, my wife. It is, it continually is inundated into our world. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Think like the world, think like the world. And by the way, we love every sinner that chooses whether their sin is homosexuality or their sin is sex outside of marriage or their sin is alcoholism and drunkenness or their sin is fill in the blank. We love sinners and want to see them right with God, but we can't ever permit going, okay, the pressure's too much. I'll, I'll do it. Does that make sense? And we are being pressed, the Bible says, from every side. But just because there's pressure, it shouldn't flip our faith. Our faith flips the pressure. And this is what is happening in this story. This is why it's beautiful in the Bible that we can take something that happened so long ago and make it applicable to today. The glory of that. Pressure comes and pressure came to Abraham. Look at what happened here fourthly in this story. The Bible says that not only was it doubt popping in and difficulty and now pressure, but faith overturns reasoning, or will reasoning overturn our faith? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I've already mentioned it, but th that is what is happening. Sarai basically says to Ab Abraham, you know this is accepted in our culture. I can't have children, so let's do, let's reason our way through this. Let's try to figure this out. God's not moving on our speed. He's not moving in our time, so let's reason this out. Maybe God is actually okay with us doing this. By the way, there's another story. It's so important, never presume upon God. David goes and picks up the art from the, um, I got Israelites on the brain, but I know it's from the Philistines, okay? And he's bringing the ark home and he, he presumes that God will be okay with him transporting it the same way the Philistines did, but God had already clearly said, whenever this cart is carried, you're to take the poles and run it through the rods and set it upon the shoulders of the priest and there to carry it. And David said, you know what? I'm just happy to have the ark. Let's do it the Philistines way. And they loaded it on the cart and the Bible says the cart rocked and Uzzah reached up to save the ark from falling off the cart and God slew him. Well, that's mean of God. No, it's wrong for David to presume upon God. 
God was clear. He was never unclear about how that cart was to be transported. That's the presence of God, and a human hand should have never put its, its, its flesh upon it. We presume upon God all the time, and we do it through reasoning. Don't we? Instead of our faith conquering false reasoning, we let reasoning flip our faith. And this is exactly what is happening in this story. And now Abraham is considering sleeping with the woman that is not his wife because his wife said it was okay and the culture permits it at this moment, but God never gave permission. And God said the seed was gonna come through his loins. And that means that one man has become, uh, with one wife becoming one flesh, no, God told me Eliezer wouldn't work and I don't think Hagar is gonna work either. Let's quit trying to reason. Let's just trust God, right? Look at the fifth thing. This is so cool, the fifth thing. With faith, will faith overturn ease or will ease overturn faith? And I think oftentimes while waiting, we go with what's easier, don't we? And let me encourage you, church. It's through the difficulty of waiting that God really gets us to where we want to be. I've shared this story a long time ago. I had a kid in my youth group and um, just a great young man. And still today, it's just an outstanding young man, but I'll never forget this decision that he made. He decided to give his life to the Lord in his senior year. He went off to Bible college, began to study, and it, it just, it was hard preparing, studying, and all that stuff was just difficult. And But, 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 he was very good at video games. This is a true story. He was very good at playing Halo, very good with weaponry, very good with all that stuff. And, and I, I'll never forget, I was heading to the college and I called ahead to say I was gonna see him and we found out that he wasn't in school anymore. I called his mom and his mom said, yeah, he decided not to go back this semester. He decided to go into the military instead because, and word for word, he said, I figured since I'm such a good video game player with weaponry that I'd probably be good in the military. And so he did. He signed up. He went into the military. He actually got accepted into the Ranger program, was a pretty good shot went overseas, and if the story is told correctly in detail, as he was overseas, he was in a moment in Iraq where they were approaching a house, and uh, a family came out, and they didn't speak any English, and they were yelling, you need to stop, you need to stop, and the guy continued to walk toward the unit, and they're screaming, stop, and they got the translator, and he's yelling, stop, and, and the guy keeps walking, and they had to shoot the man, and behind the man was his child. It's a horrible thing, but it they strap themselves and blow units up that way and be, become martyrs in that moment. And they couldn't take any chances and that messed him up bad because it no longer was a video game. And through all of that, had to get a discharge. It just seemed easier. It just seemed easier not to wait on the Lord and do it God's way. It just seemed easier to not continue in the calling of God. It just seemed easier. Let me just, let me just join the military. And let me, aren't, aren't you glad they don't take our boys from video games and put them right into battle? Hey, I'm joining up. I want to serve. Give my uniform. Why? Because I'm really good at video games. Well, good. Here's your weapon. Head off. We're going to ship you out tomorrow. It doesn't happen. There are months and months and months of breaking that individual down to prepare them for those difficult moments that even many of them can't handle when they get there. 
There's something good about waiting and not taking the easy way out. But Abraham and Sarah just said, all right, God must not be working in my timing. I'm doubting what he's doing. This is very difficult. And pressure came. And they began to think of different ways to maybe reason through it. And this just seems so much easier. Why don't you go? And notice what happens. The Bible says this. And look at chapter number 16 and verse number four, the result the chaos that ensues after this for just a little while. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised. And now we continue reading because of that being despised. Now there's blame shifting. Abraham, this is your fault. I know I gave you permission, but you should have stood up, I guess is what she was saying. I don't know. But this is your fault. It's by your hand. This has happened. Abraham, from that, then makes another bad decision and says, go treat her like you want to treat her. She's all yours. She's your servant, not mine. Isn't that sad that you can have a physical relationship with a woman one minute and turn back around just to let her be despised, or not despised, to be mistreated and mishandled the next? What a messed up culture. Humanity is messed up. Abraham is broken just like we are. The Bible says it goes from that moment to the Hagar now runs off and she's now hiding because she feels hated and, and rejected and not cared for. And, and, and now she's in that moment and God shows up and shows grace. But in the midst of all those bad decisions, chaos. And by the way, if you notice in this statement, the Bible says, uh, let's go to what the Lord says. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. Verse 10, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael. Listen to this, because the Lord hath um, heard thy affliction and he will be a wild man and his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. We are still seeing that in the 21st century today from the family of Ishmael. You say, are they bad people? No, there was a bad decision many, 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 many years ago. And from Hagar came Ishmael, and from Ishmael came a nation that still today, in this moment, his hand is always against people, and people's hands are always against him in battle. Crazy. God's word is true. Chaos is a result of us stepping over the will of God and the plan of God and the promise of God and the ways of God. It happens every time. And we see it all through scripture. This is not a fake book. This is an amazing book. But if you, if you have trouble believing in this book, just look around you. Chaos is ensuing. Why? Because people go against the direction and the plan of God. And when left to their own way, the Bible says the end thereof are the ways of what? Death, destruction, selfishness, pride, arrogance, wars, famines. All this as a result of man's rebellion and going his own way and not waiting on God. And then lastly today, look at this fourth thing together if we could. The remedy comes back to the promise. It comes back to the promise. We'll spend some more time on this beautiful story of Hagar later. But now God is gonna pick up the pieces. You wanna know why? Because the Lord sees And the Lord knows. Church, God knows you're broken. He knows you. He knows me. 
He knows that we get antsy while we wait. He knows that sometimes we will misstep in the moment. He knows he sees. Please listen to the beauty of this story. Let's look at her now. Go back to your text. The Bible says in chapter number 16, this is so beautiful. Verse four, he went in unto Hagar, the act happens. Go to verse number seven, and the angel of the Lord found her. This is after Hagar has run away by a fountain of water in the wilderness. By the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thee exceedingly, but it shall not be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. The Bible says that Jesus sees, God sees exactly where she is, exactly what she's facing. He hears, watch, watch what the Bible says. I have heard, I have heard thy affliction. I see where you're at in church. Don't miss this. I hear your affliction. Sarah, not Sarah, excuse me, but Hagar, it's by this fountain, by this tree, in this place, and she is probably literally wailing and weeping unto God. This is not her fault. I guess at some point, I'm, yes, at some point she could have said, I, I get it. She could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. He's your husband, not mine. But again, she's an Egyptian girl. She's following Egyptian culture, not the culture of God's people. She doesn't necessarily know the promise, maybe. But Sarai and Abram does, but now she is caught up in this mess, this chaos, all because of somebody making a wrong decision and somebody making a wrong choice. And God hears her cry. And she cries out unto God and complains to him alone. And God hears it and sees her. This is grace. This is the goodness of God fulfilling his promise the Lord cares and is working through this crisis, through this faith moment or the lack of faith in somebody else's life. He cares and is working. Let him, but I've already messed up. <laughs> so God's up in heaven going, oh man, what am I gonna do now? And you messed up. He's not. He's a God of grace and his mercy. The Bible says he's full of compassion and long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all who repent will be forgiven. And that's, that's the God that he is. And, and so if we trust the nature of God, take my yoke upon you, my burden is easy. Take it. God cares and is working. I love what the Bible says in Psalm chapter number 25, verse five, lead me in thy truth and teach me for thou art the God of my salvation and on thee do I wait all the day. You're the one that I trust. The Lord lastly is faithful as promised. God's gonna continue to work. Go back, Hagar, go back, go back, it's okay. Go back and submit to your mistress, she's wrong. But go back and, and give yourself to her. And I'm working. The, the, the faithfulness of God 
Psalm 37 and verse 7 says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth the wicked devices to pass. Isn't that an interesting passage in Psalm 30? By the way, Psalm 37 ought to be one that we read often and familiar with. It's just an amazing Psalm of David to help us through life. And here's what he says, Don't get all messed up with people who are doing wrong. You wait and trust in the Lord. Notice the text again, Psalm 37 and verse number seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. I love uh, Psalm 62 verse five as well. My soul, wait thou only upon God. Ready? Here's why. For my expectation is from him. Hallelujah. Wait on God. Don't wait on the world, don't wait on friends, don't wait on the moment, don't wait on pleasure, don't wait on money, don't wait on it. Wait on the Lord. Why? Because David says, my expectation's in him. God will work. Wait. God is working. Wait. Faith and waiting literally go hand in hand. Waiting doesn't mean God is asleep. He doesn't mean God's quit. He doesn't mean he's misstepped. It doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. It doesn't mean he's not on time. Waiting and faith go hand in hand. Faith is nurtured through the obedience of God while we wait. Wait on God. Wait for God. Trust in him. Wait. It's worth it. It's worth it terrible thought. But there have been times that I've gotten ready pretty rapidly in my house. So most of the time when it comes to dressing, I'm first. Okay. Most of the time. It doesn't take a lot to fix this. You just throw in a pair of pants and a shirt. There's no calming of the hair. There's a little, I don't even hardly ever use lotion when I shave. If I get out of the shower fast enough and my face is wet and warm, I can just take a dry razor and just knock it all down really fast and I'm done. No chafing, hallelujah. I trim this up a little bit. Doesn't take long at all. Shave a little bit off here if it starts to get those little couple of hairs growing out. And, uh, but it doesn't take long at all. Robin, are you ready? Be ready in a minute. Come on, honey, we got to go. I'm coming. There have been so many times she has come out and I've been like, "Mm, it's worth the wait. Amen. I mean, there's been times it's not, I'm just kidding, but no, I'm just kidding. There's never been a time that it hasn't been worth the wait. Hey guys, trust in God. He's so beautiful. His plan is so amazing. He is so absolutely perfect in everything that he's doing. Wait on the Lord. Again, I say, wait. Do it his way. Be obedient in the moment as it builds your faith. Wait on the Lord. He's good. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had together. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. 
Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you.